Brilliant. And Howard, thank you very much for reading. Chris, for those uh, prayers. There was a man who was in, uh, just shopping in the supermarket, just, you know, switched off slightly, wasn't really thinking. There's this attractive young lady starts waving to him. He's, um, his attention is aroused. And uh, so he goes over to the lady and says, um, do, you, do you know me? And she looks at him and says, yeah, you're the father of one of my children. And that just sends absolute shockwaves through. I mean, he just he breaks out in a cold sweat there and then. And in his mind, he's rapidly relaying through life. He's desperately trying to place her. Who are you? Who are, I, you're kind of familiar, actually, since you mentioned that. Who are you? Oh. And the only scene that kind of locks itself in the, on the screen of his mind is, is, is way back. And before he knows it, he finds himself blurting out to this lady, uh, uh, was it that, that rather drunken stag night? W- w- were you the stripper who came? W- did we have passionate sex on the snooker table? Is that you? And there's a silence before she says, no, I'm your son's primary school teacher. <laughs> Take your time. We're talking about new creation and new identity. Don't you think that guy needed it? Don't we need it? Let's uh, bow our heads for prayer. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, the new is here. Father, we want to submit ourselves to the truth of your word. We ask that your spirit now will come and renew us. Renew our minds and our thinking. Renew every aspect of our being. That we'd understand afresh who we are in you. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. this little series, in a sense, we've been working at the foundations last term as we looked at the kingdom of God through the first chapter of Mark. We're beginning to flesh out now and try and apply to our lives what it means for Christians to, to live kingdom lives. And I guess we will, we will always be able to, to see what we are trained or encouraged to see and comprehend. If you took an architect, a surveyor, and an interior designer to exactly the same house, those three individuals would see it in slightly different ways because they would see what they've been trained or schooled to see. And what we're attempting to do here as a church at St. Dionysus, and if you're visiting us here today, it's lovely to see you, and I hope you'll sort of join in this morning with what we're looking to do, which is to school ourselves in how the Bible portrays the world in which we live. We're trying to uh, adopt and live in a biblical worldview. To see life, our lives, and the lives of those around us as Jesus sees them, as God sees them, as by his his spirit, he's encouraging us to see them. Uh, There's one verse, there's a few we're going to have on the screen. This one in um, 2 Peter. He begins his second letter and he says this extraordinary uh, statement at the start of his letter. I'd help if I had the right reference. Uh, Verse 3 of his second letter, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. 
Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you might participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. His power, God's power, has given us everything we need, Peter says, to live this life and godliness and to enable us to participate in the divine nature, to cooperate with God, to know his life living in us. Extraordinary claim that Peter says God in Christ has already done. How can we know that we have everything that we need to live this life for him, to live a godly life? How can we know that we are actually able here and now to participate in the divine nature? Well, if you'll uh, just refer to the sheets. Did you get these little green sheets um, tucked in the Bible here? Point 2a, we can know because Christ is in us. He has given us new life. John chapter 3 and verse 6. And if we can get that one up, yeah. Jesus draws quite a distinction here. He says flesh gives birth to flesh. Just human, human life gives birth to human life. But by way of distinction, spirit gives birth to spirit. Now, a, a human person is essentially made up of three uh, distinct and yet sort of uh, closely interlocked, closely connected um, elements. And I've tried to depict them here. I mean, it's a, uh, the diagram is going to be rudimentary. But the outer circle is the body, um, the, the Greek word soma. So uh, that, is, that is things like, the, you know, the, the skin and bone and tissue and uh, blood. The actual physical components. Then the, the second ring is what the Bible calls psyche, the soul. The soul is, is made up of, and it's a little bit confusing in scripture because sometimes that's translated heart, meaning the kind of, you know, the, our, our sort of insides, the, the things that make us us, unique. Our, our particular skin and bone and flesh is different from other people's skin, bone and flesh in the way in which we are. It's our intellect, our, our emotions, um, uh, our, our imagination. And so you can see up there. And then thirdly, because human beings are created in the image of God, there is that part of us. In fact, it is the deepest part of our existence, which is our, our spirit. Now, what Jesus is talking about is that we can be born again, reborn, recreated when our spirit recognizes and receives the Holy Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ. And when our spirit receives the Holy Spirit, then a transformation takes place. We come alive at the deepest part of our very being at the spirit level. And Jesus, by his spirit, comes to live in us. Our spirit, reborn by the spirit of God, works its way out through the soul and the body. It, it, that new life informs our mind. It transforms 
our mind and the way we think. It, it shapes our emotions. Often people who come into a fresh realization of who they are in Christ as they are born again experience extreme joy. Sometimes tears flow. There's a release of a, a sort of freedom, a peace that we experience in the emotional element of our, of our being. Often, actually, I think it almost translates out into the, to the, to the body, the physical elements. I know some people who look different as they encounter Christ for the first time and submit their lives to him. It, it, they, physically, their appearance seems to change or, or, or radiate in a way. It is possible for us to have everything we need for life and godliness, to participate in the divine nature precisely because Christ comes and lives in us, makes his home with us, the Bible says. And so a Christian, a Christian person is Christ in a person. That's what a Christian is. It's when Christ has come to live in us. Now, um, it has traditionally been said that uh, Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to barge his way in. That, uh, that transaction, that transformation comes about as we invite him into our hearts and into our spirits so that our spirit comes alive by his spirit and we begin to live for him. So how can we live a life of godliness? Well, as Christ is in us and we begin to live a new life. And what that means, uh, heading 2B here, is that we are said, according to, to um, the, the phrase in Scripture, we are said to be in Christ. As Christ is living in us, we are then said to be in Christ. Paul uses that phrase 86 times in his letters, uh, and other writers use it as well. And if we are in Christ, we are a new person, a new identity. Look with me at the reading we had from Aharon just a moment ago. Page 1097. It's a wonderful verse, worth committing perhaps to memory, so that we remember it and carry it around with us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 16. We used to regard people in a worldly kind of way. We used to build up all sorts of our own opinions, our own attitudes, our own barriers, probably. Prejudices to other people. But we don't do that anymore because in Christ, we're someone new. We are a new creation. And a new creation means more than just we're slightly better than we were. The Christian faith isn't sort of a way to get a slightly better, a sort of upgrade on life. It is a total transformation. And it's vital that we grasp this if we're to live effective kingdom lives. If we're to be victorious in the spiritual battle that God is revealing to us is the reality in heavenly realms. It's vital that we understand exactly who we are. We're not just a little bit better than we used to be, a little bit more moral, a little bit kinder or nicer. We are an entirely different person at, at heart, in spirit, in the very essence of our being. If anyone is in Christ, he, she is a new creation. And that, I want to suggest, will transform the way in which we see ourselves. We are, and this, you may think this is rather bold, but it's heading three. 
We are complete, full, and victorious in Christ. I wonder whether if I ask for a show of hands, I mean, I, I won't, but were I to, how many would, would readily make that declaration this morning? Yes, I feel full, I feel complete, I feel victorious, I feel holy, that's who I am. I wonder whether we'd, we'd be bold enough to put our hands up to that description. But that's the truth of who we are. That's, that's really who we are. You see, if Jesus Christ is living in us, and we are therefore living in Christ, then everything that belongs to Jesus, everything that is associated with Jesus, everything that he now is, is imparted to us. And what's more, that right access to be a co-heir as the Bible puts it with Christ access to all he has that was sealed at salvation in other words when our spirit received the spirit of Christ the Holy Spirit when we were as the Bible puts it born again from that moment in one sense we had everything in Christ Everything that he has. If you look at some of the verses, in fact, they're contained on the, I've put a number of them on the back of the sheet. But if you look at some of the verses we've been looking at in Ephesians, or even this one today, most of them are indicative. They're written, written in the indicative tense, in other, uh, mood. In other words, they're just describing a state that is. Not subjunctive, what we hope will be or might be, it is. And not only that, many of them are written in the far, past tense. If anyone is in Christ, the old has gone. The new has come. It's not, if anyone is in Christ, then hopefully, you know, if you, if you keep being good, and if you sort of mind your P's and Q's, hopefully one day the old will go, and hopefully one day the new will It has happened. The transaction, the transformation took place, it, it was signed and sealed at the cross. And we appropriate that when we ask Jesus into our life. And when he comes to live with us, when we are in Christ, these things are true. So many verses. Let's look at a few of them. I think they're going to come on the screen. Colossians. Oh, no, let's, okay, let's have Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that's all right. By the way, a little side, Joe's having so much fun. There's Joe on the back, on the, in the AV. And if you'd like to join her having fun in the AV, we just need one or two more for the team. It's brilliant fun. You can throw the preacher when he's in the middle of his sermon. You've got all the power you want really at the back there. Where are we? Ephesians, there we are. Praise, did see Joe or me or Ursula who, who was singing earlier. Um, she'd love to have a word with you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us, has blessed us, past tense, indicative in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What's his is ours, as he lives in us and we in him. Look at uh, Colossians. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given, past tense, fullness in Christ, who's head over every power and authority. As Christ lives in us and we are in Christ, we have the, all the power and all the authority over every power in the heavenly realms. You see, Jesus isn't just a sort of new Caesar who's, you know, he's king for the moment and then there'll be someone else. Jesus is Lord over Caesar. 
He's Lord over every power and principality. And as he lives in us and we are in him, we have the same access to power and authority in the spiritual realm. Ephesians 2, 6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus, Paul says earlier on in Ephesians, is at work in us. The resurrection power to transform death into life is at work in us. Wow. It takes, in one sense actually, it takes a lifetime for us to get our heads around this. Actually, the challenge is not so much to get our heads around it as to allow our heads to submit to it. For our heads and our minds to be washed in this reality, in this truth. This is who we are in Christ. We are new creations. I put on the notes the example of the sixth former going to university. I mean, when you're at school, you're bidden to wear a school uniform. There's a school blazer with a school crest on the blazer pocket. There's a school tie. And it's part of the rules that you, in, to, in order to identify yourself as a member of that school, as a pupil at that school, you wear that uniform. But when you go to university, the sixth form goes on to university, you, you're not required to wear a school uniform. How, how, how odd would it be if a student at university in his first year was still wearing his school uniform? It would, just, it would just be inappropriate. It's just, you know, you don't need to do that anymore. You're, you're in a new, well, you're a new creation. This is how you can dress. This is how you should be. You're no longer a sixth former. You're a university student. In a sense, the New Testament is, look, this is who you are now. You're no longer slaves to sin. You're no longer stuck in the futility of your thinking. You're no longer chasing after other gods and idols. Because the God of the whole universe, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, on every power, and in all the heavenly realms, has come to live in you, so you are in him. That makes you different. So... Since this is what you are, live what you are. Since this is what you have become in Christ, become what you have become. The injunctions and the imperatives in the New Testament, live like this, speak like this, think like this, are not in order that we might become Christian. It is because we have become Christian. It's not a requirement to receive God's grace. It's a response because we have God's grace. It's fundamental that we understand that difference. St. Augustine of Hippo, arguably one of the greatest theologians, uh, one of the, the forefathers of our faith. He, he, Augustine of Hippo is in, um, I think it's Algeria now, North Africa. But as a young man, he moved and went to live in Milan. And uh, his eyes were opened. He wasn't a Christian at the time, he was a young man. And his eyes were opened to uh, the hedonistic and sensual lifestyles that he could indulge in. And indulge he did, um, you might say, by the providence of God. Because actually he's become one of our greatest thinkers, still is really, on the whole doctrine of sin. Uh, he, ha- he had quite a bit of first-hand experience, believe me, uh, if you read uh, his, um, his biographies. But he, he was transformed. Actually, as he began to read 
the word of God. And, and one verse in particular that struck him and struck him to the core was when in uh, his letter to the Romans, Paul writes, so clothe yourselves with Christ because you're no longer clothed in uh, your former ways. There's again this metaphor of dressing. And that he began to change from the inside out. God's spirit began to enliven his spirit. It impacted his, the way he was, his soul, his whole body, his whole life. He was transformed. And one day after this conversion to Christ, he was walking down one of the less salubrious parts of Milan where he used to quite frequently find himself. And out of a window, a prostitute flung open the window, recognizing him, and called out, Augustine, Augustine, it is I, it is I. And Augustine, knowing himself to be a new creation, where the old had gone and the new has come, he bowed his head and he quickened his pace, walking away, and as he did so, he turned and said, yes, but it is not I, it is not I. And he kept on walking. Outwardly, he looked like the same old Augustine. That's what the prostitute thought. But he knew that inwardly, he was a new person and that she wasn't recognizing the same person. He knew who he was in Christ. To understand this will transform the way we see ourselves, our lives, our prayer, and our sin. Let me touch on these briefly. Just on the back. Take this home. Tuck it pin it to the bathroom mirror or tuck it in a book by your bedside table. This is your birthright card. These statements are true if you are in Christ. How about as a challenge for the rest of this year to see how many of these we could memorize? To carry around like a sort of, you know, our identity and carry sort of passports or identity cards. What about memorizing some of these truths of who we are in Christ? Accepted, secure, significant. The Christian birthright card. It'll change the way we think. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 5. From now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We see people differently now because we see them with the eyes of Christ not just our attitude but our action verse 20 we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God as our attitude to others changes so does our action We begin to be Christ's ambassadors. He's living and speaking through us to others in our places of work, where we live, the people we encounter day by day, week by week. Our prayer. I have to say, I've been deeply convicted over the last few months as I've been working through this material at how impotent were my prayers. The prayers that I spoke out, either privately or publicly, I recognize betrayed the fact that I wasn't, I don't think I really believe this. I'd be like um, Oliver going with his little bowl, just asking, oh, please, sir, could I have some more? It's a bit like that with God. Oh, God, please, please forgive me. But Scripture tells me he already has in Christ. Oh, Lord, please, will you bless me? I already have in Christ. Oh, 
please give me, give me what I need. I already have in Christ. You keep coming to me, asking me for things that I've already given you. 2 Peter 1, his power has given us everything we need. Please can I have what I, I already have. How many of us would keep our jobs if, if our boss, having given us something to do and the equipment and training that we need to do it, uh, it, we then went to him and said, oh, please, boss, could you do that? No, I've asked you to do it. I've equipped you to do it. I've trained you to do it. I'm paying you to do it. You do it. Well, is it okay if I do it? Yes, I've given you permission. Don't ask, just do it. I realize that so many of my prayers are asking for things or seeking God for things that he's already freed me to do. He's already authorized for me to do. He's waiting for me to get on and do it. Not to, 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 oh Lord, please help me to say something. Just speak to that person with the words that I will give you as you seek me. Or, or, or just operate, work, live in that situation or that context at work. Whatever it might be, you can make the application. But stand up in the identity that you have rather than always asking me to do it on your behalf. I live in you. Let's do it together. It'll transform the way in which we see our sin. I, I think this is one of the keys, and I'm going to unpack this a little bit in February, as we look at the way in which our enemy will energize this pattern of thinking. See, we tend to judge ourselves in terms of performance. And so when we fall from grace, when we fall into sin, we give in to temptation and sin, as we all do from time to time. We tend to think, oh, I've blown it. I'm not holy. I'm not complete. I'm not full. I'm just a worthless failure. Because we tend to judge ourselves by performance. But our identity has changed. We are no longer assessed and identified by what we do. We are identified in terms of Jesus Christ, who lives in us. So when I sin, it simply means, not that I'm not holy or righteous in God's sight, when I sin, it simply is an indicator that I have not yet learned fully how to live out in this world the life of God in me. There's a work to do. There's a sanctifying process in which we're all engaged. Paul says to the Philippians, continue to work out what God has worked, past tense, in you. He's in there moving and willing for us to act in line with God's plans and purposes. On those occasions when we don't, we confess it. The freedom of confession. We repent. We turn from what we now realize is wrong. And we seek to live out with God's help the way in which he's called us to live. If I think in worldly ways, kind of think in the same way that my colleagues at work do, it's not that I don't have the mind of Christ, it's just I've not learned fully and properly and completely how to exercise the mind of Christ. When I pull back from the spiritual battle uh, through fear or inferiority or whatever it is and hunker down, it's not that God is not victorious in me, it's just I've not learned to appropriate the power that he's promised is mine in Christ. 
Wow. Tim, this is a bit arrogant. Look at these things here. I mean, if I was, I mean, I'm not going to dare say that to anyone else, but even just to think this myself, that I'm all these things, isn't that a little bit arrogant? Aren't I a little bit full of myself? This is where I think our thinking has been subverted by the enemy. I love that little phrase there, truth is God's opinion. Truth is God's opinion. What does God think? Because what God thinks is truth. And my life is essentially a call to align my thinking to his thinking. Humility is defined as a lowliness of mind. It's not that I, I, I trash what I think. It's not what I think is, is of no value at all. But it's just a lowliness of mind. It is I'll put to one side what I think in order that I may apprehend and consider what others think. For the Christian, it's this. It's to choose to put to one side what I may think and believe in favor of what God thinks and what God believes. Christian humility, I'd want to suggest, is to choose to believe those things that God believes about us. That we are beautiful, that we are cherished, that we are worth dying for, that we are forgiven and restored, made whole and complete and victorious, that we have power and authority for effective kingdom living. That's what God believes. Humility is for me to come in line with God's thinking. To complete the subversion, I'd want to suggest that if we were to continue to think, well, I'm nothing special, I'm just a lowly worm really, actually is proud independence. It's a kind of arrogant pride that sets itself apart from what God thinks rather than submitting itself to him and to his ways. If anyone is in Christ... Paul says, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. I'm complete and full in Jesus Christ. Will the real me please stand up? Amen. Well, let's stand together. And just as Sean and Ursula come and lead us, in our final song. Let's have a moment or two. Just for each of us, on our own, before the Lord. This is the God who in Genesis breathed the spirit of life into us so that we became living beings. God's original design for us restored in Christ that we might live for him as he lives in us. And Father, I pray now that each and every one of us as we stand physically would stand as it were metaphorically stand for the truth of your word. Father, that every single one of us would look to stand in the authority and the power and the significance that we have in Christ Jesus.
Lord, that every single one of us full of your love would thereby cast out fear. Lord, that we rejoice in being your children and heirs with Christ. Lord, that you'd continue to open the eyes of our heart that we may see more and more all that you have for us in Christ. That we'd walk from here into whatever situations you place us in in the coming days and weeks with a confidence not in ourselves but in you in us. Lord, you'd seal the truths of scripture the things we've looked at today you'd seal them in our hearts and minds by your spirit and this we ask in Jesus name Amen
let's sit or kneel for our final prayer of blessing. May the peace of God, which goes beyond our understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of Christ and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be amongst us and remain with us always. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen. Uh, Tea and coffee refreshment at the back. Have a good week.